What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the 104 6 and 1 podcast. Today, I'm going to be getting into a pretty much the same topic over the last couple of weeks. I mean, with NFL football season in full swing, the NBA Finals literally in Game 4, and then baseball season coming towards the tail end. Unfortunately, the sports topics tend to be a little bit thin. Thankfully, football is my favorite sport, so there is always, always, always plenty to talk about. Uh, if you haven't already heard on the the home field podcast shout out to my boy Kyle um I have officially decided to go into a more specific field I'm gonna instead of talking about the variety of topics that I have been talking about with it being kind of miscellaneous noticing the dip in views I am just going to strictly hone into two specific topics of complete sports and then going into comic book and then comic book movies kind of like that 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 in-between stage just because those are the two things that I love the most. Those are the two things that I feel like I can resonate and talk about with all day. And those are two things that I feel natural talking about. Not that any of the other things were difficult, but I just feel that like these two are the easiest. Not to mention, I focus on two specific fields of people and two specific interests that I just feel that are the best fit for what it is that I want to do. So with that being said, let's just dive right into it. Week four in the NFL was a little interesting. I'm going to talk about some specific games that I found to be the most intriguing. Uh, the Chargers and Bucks game. I'm going to be talking about the Seahawks and Dolphins game. The Browns and Cowboys game. And then I'm going to go right into the, what is it, the Eagles and the 49ers. And I know what you're probably thinking. How are you not going to talk about the Colts? I'll probably touch on them towards the end. So I'm going to go right back to the Chargers and Buccaneers. What I have to say completely here is this kid Justin Herbert out of Oregon is a stud like so far that rookie quarterback draft class is looking pretty solid with Joe Burrow being as consistent as he is doing in Cincinnati I believe he broke an NFL record for I think most rookie 300 consecutive games 300 300 yard consecutive games with three kids playing out of his mind led Cincy to their first win by the way of the season but back to Justin Herbert just looking at numbers like I was watching I think my girlfriend has... No, I know they have DirecTV, but I was watching the uh, NFL mix that DirecTV offers with like that eight-box game setting. And prior to that, I was watching Red Zone. And I saw that the Chargers were out here going off. And they were up 24 early to 7. And I was just like, wait a second, hold on a minute. Let me let me tune into this game really quick. And you look at the numbers. This kid, Justin Herbert, went 20 of 25 with 290 and three touchdowns. A late turnover again to, unfortunately, led them to lose this game. But Justin Herbert, like, I w- out of everyone that was drafted, I genuinely did not expect him to have the year that he's having. Mind you, this is only his second career start. So, I mean, or third career? Hold on. I, I genuinely don't remember. I don't recall. I know that Tyrod obviously got hurt with the punctured lung. So, this might be his second or third official start. So he's playing phenomenal right now. And I mean, like only five incompletions total against Tampa, you know, going up against arguably, if not the greatest quarterback of all time in Tampa, the nerves must have been nuts. And and, and he was just balling out. I mean, like it looked like he'd been a seasoned veteran for the last four or five years. So, I mean, yes, L.A. lost this game, but overall, I think that L.A. is in a good place for the future. Unfortunately, Tyrod Taylor is in another situation on a team where they had a rookie quarterback drafted in the first round, and he's kind of the guy trying to 
quote-unquote groom the incoming freshman, as I like to call it. And Tyrod ends up getting knocked out of the game again, just like similar in Cleveland. I mean, the, I think Tyrod got knocked out of a game with a concussion. Baker had to come in. They sent Tyrod back in when he cleared concussion protocol, and then they put Baker right back in. In this case, Tyrod was a healthy individual throughout camp and practice. He had a punctured lung with the team doctor that the NFL is still investigating, and he ended up being scratched, and Justin had to come in. So it's wild. I mean, like Tyrod, unfortunately, has been in that situation for the majority of his career where he has to come in after the fact. But I don't the way Justin's playing, I don't think he's going to get this job back. I mean, really, they just I mean, they just balled out and they really played up to par. Unfortunately, they did. They did lose Austin Eckler for the majority of the season. I believe he has a pulled hamstring and a damaged ligament in his knee. So he's out for an indefinite amount of time. And the run game, unfortunately, didn't really seem to be working for the Chargers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers do have one of the most stout defenses in the NFL when it comes to, you know, containing the run game. So, I mean, shout out to them. But, I mean, in the air, they just could not stop the deep ball. I mean, I'm just looking at literally two numbers here, or should I say two players? Tyron Johnson, one reception, 53-yard touchdown. Jalen Guyton, one reception, 72-yard touchdown. Tampa just seems to have a problem with stopping the deep ball. And, I mean, obviously, we know that their pass rush is pretty decent and then that their linebacking core is phenomenal. But it's that secondary. I mean, like, you literally go in there, you bite down on that play action, and you have somebody open over the top. Or someone just burns their corner straight up through and there's a hole in the, in the, in the defense where the safety's biting on one side or that he looks them off. It really depends. But overall, I think L.A. is really doing the best that they could, especially without a lot of key players. Derwin James, Chris Harris, Melvin Ingram, I mean... They're losing games, so the record does matter. But, I mean, they're losing with missing pieces. And their games are close. They lost to the Chiefs in a nail-biter in overtime. They lost to Tom Brady by seven points. It's not like L.A.'s out here getting blown out and blown out by scrubs. He played Pat Mahomes and Tom Brady back-to-back. I mean, you really, what are you supposed to do with that? (laughs) So, I mean, I, I would say the kid is very poised. I would say the kid looks really good. And by the kid, I continue to be referring to Herbert. But I really do like what I see from him so far you know anything can change over the course of a season but I mean oh how could I forget they played the Panthers last week not the Chiefs but the Panthers game that was a five-point game so I again that just further supports my stance the Chargers are losing by nail-biting increments and the rookie is putting up great numbers Tom Brady on the other hand let's touch on the old man Tom Brady went for five touchdowns to five different receivers for 369 yards. And, of course, he had a pick six early in the first quarter, which led Tampa to go down early. But he brought it back together, as Tom Brady does. He gathered his teammates. He rallied them around him, and he just did what he needed to do. Rojo went off for 111 yards, averaging 5.5 yards a carry, which is incredible. Unfortunately, they did lose O.J. Howard for the year with a torn Achilles, so maybe this means that Gronk is going to start looking like Gronk again, and Cameron Bray also hit the end zone too. So who knows? They have a very talented tight end group in that locker room, so I mean, I don't know what's going to happen now with probably their best blocking tight end and O.J. Howard being out. I don't know if Rojo is going to be able to have that continued success, but we'll see what happens. I don't know. LaShawn McCoy also tweaked his ankle. Not that he's really doing much, but I mean, he did what he needed to do to a certain extent. Trying to give him some credit. It's really difficult, but uh, oh well. Mike Evans, once again, thankfully have him in fantasy. He went off for seven receptions, 122 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Chris Godwin was a late-game scratch, or should I say an early weekend scratch. He was out 
last week as well. I believe that he should be coming back for their Thursday night game coming up this week, if I am not mistaken. Oh, come on, computer. I'm looking at the week five schedule. So, yeah, they, I, I knew it. They have a Thursday game coming up this week against the Bears. So, yeah, um, I they believe that Chris Godwin should be back for this game. But, I mean, again, what did I say week one when Tampa Bay lost that game to New Orleans in New Orleans? The script has completely flipped. Tampa is finally settling. The offense is firing on all cylinders. Tom Brady is getting more accustomed to his receivers. And the defense is somewhat kind of keeping it contained. Mind you, Tom has to go out there and do what he needs to do every week. But the defense is keeping them in the game for the most part. making cru- Creating crucial turnovers when they need it. So the Bucks lead that division at 3-1. and one. Obviously, the Saints are still figuring out what's going on down there in Louisiana. Because God knows, I don't know. But... They found a way to hold off on that. I'll touch on that later. Actually, I don't think I'm going to talk about the Saints today. I really don't care. They had a six-point game against the Lions, and they should have smoked them. Again, Michael Thomas didn't play, but something's going on in New Orleans, and I don't know what it is. But anyway, um, transitioning into the next game that I found interesting, I believe I said that was going to be the Seahawks and the Dolphins game. Uh, Russell Wilson did not have a what I like to say Russell game that he's been having all season. The Seahawks again are four and zero, and Russell played good. Don't get me wrong, but he did only have two touchdowns for three sixty. And I know once again, I know what you're saying. Only two? Yes, I have him in fantasy, guys. Don't forget, I need the man to be putting up forty. Po- I need him to be putting up forty points a week. I just lost to a player that to a to a person that I had no business losing to in my league from back home. So that just. That kind of ruined my weekend, and I'm 0-4 in my big league with my girlfriend's dad, and it's just not looking good <laughs> on that aspect. We just can't buy a win if we wanted to. Um, Russell Wilson, it just it seems Seattle was struggling in the third. They didn't score at all, and Miami found a way to kind of continue to nick and crack at that lead, and at one point I believe it was 17-15, to 15, and it was just a close, close, close game. Once again, I mean, I'm just going to continue to say it. I think DK Metcalf is going to be the best receiver and the number one receiver on this football team by the middle of the season, if not by the end. He is just a walking mismatch at 6'4", running a 4-3-40 speed. I mean, it is incredible. If he doesn't get that touchdown muffed from behind him or force that fumble or gets that fumble forced... The guy's season is is his numbers are crazy. I I, I think genuinely Metcalf is going to be the sleeper pick of that entire draft class going in the the second or early third round, uh, potentially having the to having the potential to have been a first round pick. But I mean, Seattle's just doing what they need to do. I mean, Miami did end up scoring twenty three points, so it was an eight point game. But uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick unfortunately had those late game turnovers. I mean, he. 315 yards, two interceptions. He did have 47 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown, but for whatever reason, the Dolphins just could not continue to keep that momentum. Devontae Parker coming off injury the last two weeks, or should I say last week, with 110 yards and 10 receptions. Um, He is easily Fitzpatrick's favorite target. I mean, Devontae Parker out of Louisville had early injuries in his career, and the last two years he's just been doing what he needs to do. Unfortunately, the tight end sensation Mike Gusecki did not have a productive game, as I also have him in fantasy, and he only got me two points. So my brother's team needs to step it the fuck up so I can actually win some games. 
but again, the only, the reason I wanted to touch on this was because Seattle did not look bulletproof, and Miami is better than what their record shows. So, I mean, obviously we know that Seattle was missing Jamal Adams with a groin injury. Uh, shout out to Jamal for his social media person, his, what do they call those, his PR person. He posts a picture like a dumbass of him watching the game in his helmet, but of course he has a joint in between his legs where you can see the table, there's a joint in an ashtray. And then five minutes later, he reposted without the joint in the picture. Come on, man. Like, all these players out here getting randomly drug tested, and you're just going to blatantly show while you're home, chilling in your slides, that you're smoking a fucking blunt, or should I say a joint, in your room or in your living room. It just Players like this really upset me because then it's just like, then you wonder why people are tested on the regular. Like, this is why. You were injured and now you're chilling at the crib and then you go and post a picture without even looking or thinking. Just, just inappropriate. Just stupid. But, again, Seattle just, their defense has always been the issue of their team this season. They're not playing up to the par that at least I expected. I thought Jamal was going to bring a little bit more of an assertive force onto the team. And it just seems that Seattle has to continue to rely and live through Russell Wilson. If he has a good game, they're going to most likely win depending on the matchup. But if that defense, if Russell finds a, you know, a midseason slump, if he has a bad game, that defense you can't rely on late in the game to really hold it down and get him the ball back. So, I mean, I think Seattle had a down-to-earth game. Obviously, they were not expected or if they were not expected to lose to the Dolphins or have a close game like they did against Miami. But, you know, Miami ended up showing out. Their defense did what they needed to do, and Miami just... They found a way to disrupt Russell's flow. And if I'm not mistaken, they had, what, two sacks? Only two sacks, but they did have a lot of quarterback rushes. So, I mean, they were they were finding ways to get to Russell. They were finding ways to pressure, and they were just getting in his face and making it difficult for him all day in Miami. So, I mean, shout out to the Dolphins, man. It's not that it's Ryan Fitzpatrick's fault. He is, of course, everybody knows he is a big risk taker. taker. So him turning the ball over is no surprise. My question is, how long does Miami allow this before they forcibly put the number five overall pick to a tongue of Iloa in the game? I think that he'll be a bench. Excuse me. I think that he will be a starter come midseason unless Miami finds a way to turn it around. I don't think Brian Flores is going to want to have another three and 13 season, five and five and 11 season, whatever it is that they went last year. But I think that this roster is a lot better than what they're depicting right now. And, if Miami continues to do what they're doing and if they continue to trend down, they might have to forcibly put the rookie in when he's not ready. The only reason I say he's not ready is because, of course, he is coming off of the hip surgery. One bad hit. Yes, he's been cleared, but we don't know what's going to happen. So if you can prolong that, continue to have him rehab and strengthen it for the entire year and study behind Fitzpatrick, I think that would be the best decision. But we all know the NFL is a business. Nobody wants to go and watch and cheer for a team that is 1-16 Two, uh, one in 15, two in 14, so on and so forth. So that was my surprise game of the week. Uh, going right into the Browns and Cowboys game. Let me just clarify for the sake of A, myself and the podcast. When I first started this podcast, one of my big points during the offseason of the NFL was Dak Prescott. I thought people were insane. I thought the Dallas Cowboys were bugging. I thought that any Cowboys fan that wrote Dak deserves the money was ignorant. Dak Prescott broke an NFL record for most passing yards in two games with like 900 and change. He also threw for over 500 yards this past Sunday. 502 yards, four touchdown passes. 
Dak Prescott is playing out of his fucking mind. Now, I don't know why their inconsistencies lie within the first three quarters. Because in the fourth, Dallas has been finding ways to just climb back into games. And they put up 24 in the fourth against Cleveland. Mind you, Cleveland lost Nick Chubb early in the second quarter. He's out for about six weeks with a sprained knee, sprained MC, something of the sort. One of the ligaments in his knee is not what it's supposed to be or not where they want it to be. And Cleveland needs to not worry, but they need to pay attention to it because obviously, you know, Kareem Hunt isn't going to be able to carry the load. Apparently, Dearness Johnson came in there and he did what he needed to do with 95 yards, averaging 7.3 yards to carry. So the run game is going to be where Cleveland succeeds, and they're going to have to live and die by that because Baker is only successful with the play action. I mean, if Baker has to go out there, roll out, and make a, a, a throw on the move or have to has to make a read at the line and fit a ball in a tight window, I don't exactly have the most faith in him. And what's going on in Cleveland is, like I said, they are succeeding heavily at the run game, and Baker is just dumping and, dumping and diving within hit the confines of his abilities and his, what's the word I'm trying to say? He has strength. We all know he has the arm strength to go and put a ball where he needs to put it downfield, but sometimes it's just not the most responsible decision, as some would say. So, I mean, <laughs> he had a little bit of competition this week with Jarvis Landry with the trickery that he they had. They, they uh, pitched Jarvis the ball, then Jarvis threw it to Odell Beckham Jr. in the end zone for 37 yards and a touchdown. And Cleveland just seems to have a, a bag full of tricks this season because they also ran an end around where Odell Beckham caught it in the backfield. Alden Smith missed a tackle. Arguably, you can say if Alden makes that tackle, they lose maybe 15 to 20 yards. But Odell breaks that tackle, and then he rushes for a 73-yard touchdown out of the backfield. So Dallas ends up losing this game 49-38. to Once again, I don't think it is the issue of the offense in this case. It is the defense. How are you going to give up this many points to a Cleveland Brown team? No disrespect to Jake Dunbar. Shout out to my boy Dunny. But everybody in the world knows Cleveland has never been known for scoring this many points. I mean, this season alone, Cleveland is scoring upwards of, what, almost 28-30 to 30 a game? They just, other than week one against Baltimore, ever since then, the last three weeks, uh, Cleveland's been putting up points. And that's because they're living through Nick Chubb and they are living through Kareem Hunt as well. So Baker's doing what he needs to do to succeed. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Cleveland went for an extra point for that Odell Beckham touchdown. And then, of course, what happens after that? Dallas blocks the extra point. And then the extra point falls into the end zone somehow. Cleveland recovers as a two-point conversion. I never knew there was a thing, but apparently it is. So Dallas botches a blocked extra point attempt and allows it to fall into the end zone in which Cleveland then recovers. So I don't know if they need to work on their special teams too, but Dallas's defense, man, they need to be reevaluated. They genuinely need to look over this whole thing. I mean, they have talent. Obviously, we know they lost Byron Jones. So, I mean, it isn't the fact that they don't have talent. Obviously, we know Sean Lee and Van Der Esch are hurt for the season. or not out. They're hurt. That makes a difference. I mean, their, their rookie draft pick with Trevon Diggs, Stephon Diggs' little brother, uh, he's been sensational. He's doing what he needs to do out there. Obviously, Demarcus Lawrence, we know Jalen Smith out of Notre Dame. He's doing what he needs to do. Alden Smith has revamped his career, had three sacks last week. 
Um, the list goes on. We know they have the talent on it. They're just not executing. Uh, switching back to the offense, I mean, Amari Cooper went and had a fucking game. And, of course, the one week I play against him, he's got to go off for 12 catches, 134 yards, and a touchdown. Fuck me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just <laughs> it pisses me off. Like, I just... I have no idea what's going on in Dallas. We all know Mike McCarthy is an offensive genius to a certain extent. Obviously, him working with Aaron Rodgers for 12 or 13 seasons and then winning a Super Bowl and Aaron having MVP seasons. But we have not seen enough from the Dallas defense, and that is going to be the issue ongoing. They're going to continue to lose games. Even if Dak finds a way to will them in, he can't continue to do it alone. So Dallas falls to 1-3, and and they are not leading the division. They are tied for second. Because the Philadelphia Eagles found a way that I called, that I said they would win the game against San Francisco. And I'll get into that later. But Philly leads the division at 1-2-1. and one. Dallas is tied with Washington for a 1-3 and three record for second. And unfortunately, the New York Giants are on 4. Sorry, guys. Um, sliding into the next game, the, game, the next game that intrigued me is going to be that... Fo- I think there was... Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'll go into the... Yeah, that, that was the next one because the Colts game was at the end of it that I was going to just touch on a little bit. Philadelphia Eagles get their first win of the season. Congratulations to my girlfriend and her whole family. I know they were ecstatic watching this game. Now, again, they didn't play a fully loaded 49ers team, which is why I called them to win this game because I felt that this was going to be the game of games to win on primetime television. This was going to be the game they needed to take advantage of with Jimmy Garoppolo being out, with Nick Bosa, with... Their other stars on the offensive and defensive end being out with injuries. I think Carson Wentz needed to step up, and he did. And by step up, I mean he made one play that ended up being the deciding factor in the play. Or no, he made he made a couple of plays, actually. Excuse me, he made two. He had a rushing touchdown early in the first, and that led them up to be should that led them to be up by eight. It, they went for the two-point conversion for whatever reason. He throws it over to Zach Ertz. Then they score. And it is a, an 8-0 to game early in the first. San Fran comes down the field. They score 8-7. So, I mean, it, it ends up going a little bit back and forth towards the end of the game. I mean, they nobody scored in the second, third quarter. Philly gets a field goal. San Fran scores a touchdown. And then Philly sparks fire. Carson Wentz throws a touchdown over to Travis Fulgham, a practice squad member of multiple teams throughout the year. And he scores a 53-yard touchdown. Puts them up. Or should I say no? Doesn't put them up. Doesn't put them up? No. Yes? I don't recall. Nevertheless, Philly scores right then and there, right? So then I'm sliding over to the 49ers side. Nick Mullins, the backup quarterback behind Jimmy Garoppolo, the former Southern Mississippi quarterback that Brett Favre talks so highly about, ends up getting benched. He throws two turnovers. He obviously... Throws a touchdown earlier in the game, and he just, I don't know what it is. He fell apart. George Kittle had 15 catches for 183 yards and a touchdown. George Kittle was a beast among children. He was just a man amongst boys, excuse me, and he was doing everything in his power to will them to a win. So then late in the game, unfortunately, Mullins throws a pick six to, what's this kid's name? Some random ass, I don't even know his name, Covington? Is he even on this report? Forty. Oh, Singleton, excuse me. Alex Singleton ends up catching an interception and runs it back for a touchdown, and that puts Philly up 
25 to 20. But the worries did not go away because third string quarterback CJ Beathard, the quarterback that people would remember that led San Francisco, well, not led, he didn't really do much, but the quarterback that was there before Jimmy Garoppolo came to the team, uh, the third string quarterback that was carouseled consistently around that season where they were shifting, um, he comes in the game and sparks a fire. And I mean a, a fire. He goes up the field and he leads a touchdown drive. And, and, and I don't even know how, but the, the, the guy just, he, he did not miss. He went 14 of 19 in the fourth quarter alone for 138. And arguably, if they would have benched Mullins earlier, who knows if that pick six even happens. But, I mean, Beathard just diced up that Philly defense, man. Beathard just balled out, and I don't know how he did it, but he was like, yo, Jimmy's out. I want to be number two on the roster. Mullins, you had your shot. You fucked up too many times. But, I mean, that Philly defense found a way to keep them in check, man. I I said it multiple times in multiple episodes. That Philadelphia pass rush is something to be scared of. Hassan Ridgeway, Gennard Avery, uh, Josh Sweat, Barnett. Hargrave, and, you know, even LeBlanc went and got a sack. They just found ways to get to the quarterback, and they made hell for those backups, and they just, they achieved victory, man. They found a way to come through, and they did in the clutch. Miles Sanders, once again, another person I have in fantasy, just is not getting the touches that he needs. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, they are very pass-heavy in Philly this season. They are just not doing what they need to do. Carson did what he needed to do on the two plays that I had mentioned on the scramble and the touchdown toss, but his execution still needs to improve. There were still a lot of throws that he was just missing blatantly for whatever reason with no pass rush or anyone around him. He just missed timing throws. I don't know if he's got jitters. I don't know if he wasn't getting enough reps in the off season. I don't know if he's practicing during the week enough. I, I don't know. You'd figure someone that's playing against this defense could potentially catch a rhythm. You know what I'm saying? The, the Philadelphia Eagles defense is not bad, ladies and gentlemen. Let's, let's clarify this. They are 1-2-1, one, and one, but it's definitely not because the defense isn't doing what they need to do. It is 130% because the offense is keeping the defense on the field for so goddamn long. Because every time Carson touches the ball, it's a 3-and-out and out for the most part this season. But they won. So I'm going to let them have it. You know what I'm saying? I did call the Philadelphia Eagles to win this game, and I'm going to say it again. I called them to win. Because everybody and their mother said, you're crazy. And even all of the announcers and all of the commentators picked San Francisco to win. So, eat it, NBC. I said Philly was going to win, and they did. So, I said four games. I said I might touch on the Colt game. Now, I'm just, I'm going to try to be as unbiased as possible. Whether or not it was Nick Foles or Mitchell Trubisky, I say we win this game. Why do I say that? We have the NFL's number one ranked defense for a reason, right? We should have won this game by 20 points. Here's why. Obviously, they had a garbage touchdown in the fourth quarter that didn't really matter at that point. You know what I'm saying? It was already, I think, six minutes left in the game. Indy already was up by another touchdown. So, I mean, it was a matter of an onside kick. We get that back. So, that's besides the point. This offense just is not clicking, in my opinion. I mean, 19 points. We had to rely on our rookie kicker to go out there and and go four for four. We score a touchdown early in the fourth. And then we got we got to score field goals for the rest of the game. Chicago's defense was not that good. Philip was missing targets. It was terrible play calling on Frank Reich's part. I, Frank Reich, Reach, however you want to pronounce his name, coach, you got to call better plays. We had a lot of just just 
sweep plays that were just unnecessary where, where Phillip just tosses it out of the backfield and they were just negative yard plays. T.Y. Hilton, three catches, 29 yards, supposed to be our playmaker. Our leading receiver was Zach Pascoe with 58 yards and it just gets worse. Marcus Johnson with one third down catch, phenomenal catch, but one third down catch for 27 yards. Trey Burton had a lot of targets. He only had 16 yards. I I don't understand how we are the record that we are with this offense being as inconsistent as it is. Is Phillip Rivers completing passage for a great percentage? Sure. Is he turning the ball over? Absolutely not. But I think that we are so much better than what our record than what our scoring has shown. We're last in the league in rushing, even though we have one of the best offensive lines in football. We have a really tough schedule coming up for the next couple of weeks. And I just think, first of all, we should be 4-0. That Jacksonville game was an abomination of a fucking football game. We should never have lost to them. We should have never given them their first win. And we should be 4-0. But we're 3-1, and so I'm not going to be greedy. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to Again, I'm trying to be unbiased, but... There were plenty of opportunities where we're at that goal line or we're in the red zone and we have to settle for a field goal because of shitty play calling. If we continue to play like this against teams that are better than Chicago, teams that are better than Minnesota, teams that are better than the Jets and the Jags, like next week, we have a huge matchup against the Cleveland Browns. We are both 3-1 and one and it's in Cleveland. That f- super fire offense that is is just is thriving on all cylinders mind you baker's playing good it's not the passing game; it's the running game but thankfully nick chubb is out nevertheless kareem hunt was a starter in the nfl for the kansas city chiefs a few years ago and we all know what he can do with a good offensive line and a decent quarterback aka baker's playing average and that offensive line is for whatever reason what for whatever reason he they're just moving buildings over to give them those runs or those holes so i don't i don't i don't know what's going to happen next week I have no idea. Obviously, I want to pick us, but you know, to be unbiased, I think Cleveland has an advantage just because they're scoring a lot of points, and we haven't exactly played an offense like theirs just yet. We haven't exactly been faced with a competitive run game like them, so I, I don't know what's going to happen. If Phillip Rivers doesn't step it up, I'm going to tell you that we are not going to win this game. I mean, Jonathan Taylor only had 68 yards, so the run game isn't exactly going for us as much as it was the last two seasons, and that has nothing to do with the fact that Marlon Mack isn't playing. It's the fact that we're not dialing up enough run plays to give them the opportunity to produce. I don't understand why we get so pass-happy. Phillip had 30, 29 attempts for 190 and a touchdown. Once again, he's not turning the ball over, so it's key. But we need to capitalize way more in the red zone if we are going to win games against better teams. And that's all I'm going to say. Oh, and I'm going to just really quick. Nick Foles is not a career backup. Nick Foles has been placed in terrible situations, and I'm pretty sure I mentioned this before. And he played a pretty good game. And we just, again, we have one of the best defenses in football. We made it a little chaotic for him. We got to the quarterback. He threw an interception. You know what I'm saying? Like, we are an aggressive team defensively, and I'm very proud to say that, thankfully. But if Nick Foles continues to get the reps with the first team, if Nick Foles continues to play aggressive like he has been his entire career at throwing the ball downfield, Chicago will figure it out. They are going to have to combat, obviously, that Green Bay offense because, obviously, Green Bay leads that division at 4-0 and and Chicago's 3-1. and Maybe they get a wild card spot. It, it, it really depends. I have no idea. 
But I mean, that's that's my week four NFL recap for the most part. I, I don't want to continue to get into every single game and diving into every single stat. From now on, I'm just going to really just dive into the games that I find intriguing on my part. Um, in regards to NFL news, I would touch on the fact that Cam Newton tested positive, I think, Saturday or Friday. So he was not playing on, in yesterday's Patriots game, and the Patriots did end up losing that game 26-10. to 10. So other than that, um, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it. I think the league is paying attention to COVID and taking it as serious as they can. Obviously, the Tennessee-Pittsburgh game got postponed, and the Patriots game got moved over to yesterday. So, I mean, they the NFL is taking all precautions and is taking it as serious as possible. But I genuinely think if cases continue to pop up, as I said prior to the season, um, they might have to postpone and or cancel a lot of other games. And that is going to mess up not only a lot of teams' momentum and a lot of teams' consistencies, but that's going to mess up my fucking fantasy league, man. I had to drop and add defenses without knowing and players because I have Pittsburgh players. I had Tennessee players. Um, I didn't know if the Kansas City game was going to get postponed, and I had Kansas City defense at one point. So just, you know what I'm saying? It's COVID can't predict but you can try to combat it in a way that you protect your players at the most. So I don't know. I might be speculating a little bit too much, but I genuinely think that if cases continue to pop, that games are going to continue to be affected and maybe the season could be in jeopardy. So I don't know. They're doing a great job. They're doing everything that they can, but I'm just going to let that rock. Now what I'm going to get into is the New York motherfucking Yankees. You feel me? As I said, Early in the goddamn year, the Yankees have the potential to win a World Series this season. We didn't end the season on a good note. The regular season was not as good as I wanted it to be. But once again, between injuries, rotation changes, I, you know, double headers, maybe fatigue. I, I, I couldn't tell you what exactly it is. I can't pinpoint or give an excuse as to why the Yankees didn't produce the way that I wanted them to in the regular season. But in the postseason... As of right now, we're 3-0. We beat Cleveland 2-0. And in the last three postseason games, the Yankees have scored. What is it? The first game we had 12. Second game we had 10. So it's 22. Last night we had 9. We had 31 runs between three games. And we paid, we we have played the two best pitching staffs in baseball. In the Cleveland Indians with the Cy Young favorite and Shane Bieber. And the Tampa Bay Rays with probably the second best bullpen in baseball right behind Cleveland. And what happened? The Yankees offense caught fucking fire at the right time. So I'm going to just touch on that Cleveland game. I know I mentioned that game one victory, 12 to three, the game two, uh, winner go home game for Cleveland. It ended up going back and forth, back and forth throughout the entire game. I kind of passed out between the second and the fourth inning. I I don't know. I was a little tired. I was laying down. You know what happens when you watch a game and you get comfortable after a shower. You're just like, <gasps> boom, I passed out for a little bit. Woke up. We was up. I don't know what happened. We woke up. I, I woke up and then we woke up because that offense was just, it genuinely was just back and forth. I just, I enjoyed watching that game. But at the same time, I had a goddamn heart attack because I just, I couldn't do it. Uh, Cleveland goes up early for nothing. Stanton hits a solo shot in the second for one. And then after that, Gio Urshela hits that grand slam. And then we go up 5-4. And then after that point between innings, it's literally back and forth. Cleveland responds. Cleveland scores two. And then, or no, we score one. And then Cleveland scores two. Then we go out and score two. Then Cleveland scores two. And then the next inning, Cleveland scores one. And then in the, in the ninth inning, we score two. 
So we we <laughs> we win that game in nine innings, ten nine. Thankfully, I uh, I Cleveland had some errors, some crucial errors, but I mean at the end of the day. We did what we needed to do. We achieved the goal that we wanted, and that was to make it out of the wild card round onto the next series. We had Garrett Cole on the mound for us last night. Garrett Cole did not look like the Garrett Cole throughout the season. He did have a little bit of a slump. Uh, we came out hot right off the bat. We hit a sack fly, and we scored, and we were up one nothing. and then Garrett Cole gives up that solo shot, and it's tied 1-1. Uh, the Yankees then go down, and we score again. Who hit that home run in the second inning? Was it a home run? I'm sitting here struggling like I don't know what the hell happened. And that pisses me off considering I watched the entire game. <laughs> you know? So I'm just, I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, duh. Clint Frazier had his first MLB hit in the postseason and then that was a home run. So we go up 2-1, two, two excuse me. Tampa comes down and this guy, man, what? how the fuck you say Choi Jin Man he has Garrett Cole's number man he is a career 8 of 12 against Garrett 8 in favor of 8 hits out of 12 at appearances 8 out of 12 at bats excuse me he just he just hits him he finds a way to just disrupt his flow get him on his heels and he just genuinely was just oh my god like I, I don't I don't know why or how he has his number but he does he hits a two-run shot the Rays go up 3-2 or should I say yeah 3-2 and then the Yankees come out of nowhere, and then we hit back, not back-to-back, back, but we hit two home runs in the inning, one off of our incredible backup catcher in Kahashigoka, who always catches Garrett Cole in the last five or six games. They just have a great chemistry. It works. I'm not going to get into the catcher dispute right this second. Give me a minute. Um, then right after that, DJ LeMahieu, he grounds out, and then right after that, Aaron Judge hits a laser to left field, and I mean like an immediate laser. It just looked like he hit a hanging curveball and rips it to left with authority, and then we go up. And then after that, I mean, Cleveland just, they couldn't touch us. Cleveland, was we, we, we locked it down. I mean, Garrett Cole ended up having eight strikeouts. He did not allow another another run to come in, and then our bullpen shut it down. Chad Green comes in for the inning, and then right after that, Britton comes in, and then Sessa closes it out because it's out of a save opportunity because you know what happened in the ninth inning? You guys want to know what happened? I'll tell you what happened. So we load the bases. I'm going to skip Hicks's single that knocked in Hashigoka. I'm just going to go right into the grand slam, right? Bases loaded. Giancarlo Stanton's up to bat, and what happens? Leaves a pitch up. And in, and Stanton takes it yard. Dead center field, watches the ball as it goes over the mound, just out over the over the wall, just out of the reach of the gold glove, Kevin Kiermeyer. And we score four right then and there. Five for the inning. We win this game 9-3. to three. The Rays have had our number all year. The Rays have annihilated us the entire season. Mind you, 60 games, still a significant amount of time to lose a lot of games against our division rival but the number one seed in the AL gets rocked first game of the series so I mean there's a lot to look forward to we have the rookie pitching tonight and I am a little concerned I am genuinely curious to see how that's gonna go I have no idea what's gonna happen with that you know what I mean like uh what is it, Devi Garcia? And I am torn 
I'm excited because the kids showed a lot of promise this season. I'm nervous because the Rays are a well-oiled machine. They might be mad at the fact that they lost the game that they were favored to win. And then we kind of, I don't know, in, in this kind of, it's so hard to express because I understand why the Rays are going to be pissed off this game, but I also don't comprehend why because of the postseason. And sorry, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm babbling on. I didn't even explain what happened. So late in the game in the ninth, the Rays bring in a rookie pitcher who is just trying to contain it and get out of the inning. Glaber Torres gets on base, and within the first pitch of the rookie coming in, Glaber steals second. Now, I understand that there are a lot of unwritten rules in sports, and I understand that you know when you're winning by a, a certain amount, typically you want to take your foot off the gas pedal because of sportsmanship. I, I get, I, I genuinely get it. We wouldn't like to have been on the other end of that. Like I understand, I wouldn't have been as livid as social media and a lot of Rays fans are. Just because of this, right? So, Glaber steals that bag, right? And let's say, hypothetically, we bring him in, and it's 10-3. What happens in the bottom inning, or in the next inning, if Tampa scores five of their own? Mind you, they lost nine to three, or should I say six of their own? What if they end up losing that game, or what if they end up tying the game? Right? I said, hypothetically, if Glaber came to score, so I said it would have been 10. But let's just, for the record's sake, let's erase him scoring. What if they come down and they score six in a row and they're on such fire, they're on such a hot run, they win the game in extras because Glaber doesn't steal that bag or because Glaber doesn't come around to score? I don't hear nobody saying nothing then. There is no guarantee. The Yankees have come back from five, six-run deficits a lot of times in my life, and the Rays are a very, very, very good baseball team. So if they would have come back and won the game, I wouldn't have been surprised. So for analysts like Pedro Martinez to be saying that was bad, don't do that. If the Rays come back and win, ain't nobody saying shit about it, right? So it's playoff baseball, foot on the gas. If we would have scored another eight in the fucking ninth inning, that's the Rays' fault for having a shitty pitching staff and not knowing how to get out of the inning. Because if it's vice versa and the evil empire of the New York Yankees finds a way to lose that game, nobody gives a shit, right? Or if it's the Yankees that are losing in that scenario, everybody's ecstatic because we have a lot of fucking Yankee haters out there because all of your baseball teams suck dick. But nobody says anything. So I don't want to hear anybody coming at my Yankees for being aggressive. This shit don't end. It's the postseason. I don't want to hear a lick of anybody saying, oh, you could have had more coos. You could have had a little bit more respect. You know, you could have, you were up by six. Shut up. Shut up. Stop being a little girl. Stop being a little bitch. It's the playoffs. I want to win, and I want to win by whatever means necessary. Obviously, within the spectrums of the rules, because nobody likes a cheater, a.k.a. the Astros. I'm not speculating, but if by some miracle we come out of this series, and I don't mean miracle, I mean by, you know, the grace of God, if we win this series, I want the Houston Astros to win their series. I want to face the Houston Astros in the ALCS for a third time. And you know why? Because I want redemption. I want to completely annihilate them off the face of the planet, and I want them to suffer. So they know, yo, not this time. Your trash cans ain't here. Ain't no fans in the audience. It's time to get worked, little boys. Because the New York Yankees are the best team in baseball. 
Again, I'm not hyped because of the game. I'm hyped because the Yankees are playing up to par because we're finally doing what we needed to do all season. We're finally in a groove and we're finally healthy. Is our pitching staff still an issue? Absolutely. Could this rookie uh, Garcia get rocked tonight? Absolutely. Am I going to have the same attitude going into game three? Absolutely. Because when our offense is this hot, good luck stopping it. We beat their best pitcher last night in, in Blake Snell. So for us to come out and be worried about game two, obviously worry a certain amount because it is still a professional game and you need to worry about the other team catching fire in itself. But we just dominated three games in a row of nine plus runs each. We have 11 home runs and three games in the postseason. That's another MLB record, by the way. So the Bronx Bombers are back. Three consecutive games in a row, doing what we needed to do, dominating a team that we needed to dominate earlier in the season that we didn't. So, Pedro Martinez, that's enough out of you, bro. For someone that says there's an un, uh, 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 an unwritten rule book, you out here tackling an 80-year-old uh, coach back in the day? Yeah, we all remember that. Where you threw him to the ground? Isn't that common decency? Mind you, he could have said something absolutely racial. He could have said something completely inappropriate. But the man was 80. Tempers were flaring that game against the Red Sox. Absolutely. It was an, an abomination of just tempers flaring in the rivalry, but you don't do what you did. I'm pretty sure there's been plenty of instances where, where, where you have done something. Obviously, I'm not a Red Sox fan, nor am I a Mets fan or an Expos fan, wherever you were in your career, to know, or Phillies fan. You know what I'm saying? Like they were, You were in a lot of places. But for you to come out of nowhere and say, Glaber, don't do that like you were his father, or you know, Glaber, I expect better from you. You were on a couple of World Series championship teams where you guys just completely annihilated the entire world when the Red Sox won, and nobody said anything about unwritten rules or, or running up the score. So to Glaber, keep being aggressive. You got a bag, go and steal it. You know what I'm saying? To anybody else on the team, just do what you got to do to win. I, don't, I, I genuinely don't give a shit how it hurts your feelings. Don't be soft because if your team was the one winning, you wouldn't care either. So... If the New York Yankees win this game, we're up two to nothing against the Rays tonight at eight o'clock. I'm ecstatic. I'm excited. Postseason baseball's here. And that's all that matters to me. The NBA finals are on, yes, but I mean like I'm not really tuning into it. I'm also not tuning into it because I made a deal with my friend Ricky. Shout out to Rick, who hasn't listened to any episode in months. But I'm you know, I'm still gonna give you kudos. We made an agreement that I will not watch a finals game. If he doesn't watch a Yankee game, I know you're probably like, what? That's so stupid. Uh, what's it? Jinxing is it doesn't exist or superstitions. No, 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 no. You guys don't understand. Whenever Ricardo Fernandez watches a New York Yankee game for whatever reason, and I'm not exaggerating in our friendship, you can ask AJ and Nick, maybe not Nick because Nick doesn't really care. Neither does AJ, but I always find a way to complain to AJ. Um, it happens. It never fails. Whenever the Yankees are playing and Ricky watches it, we find a way to lose. Even if we're up, we find a way to fucking lose. Even if he just tunes in for a half inning. I don't know what it is, if he's cursed or what. I've watched plenty of LeBron James games. I watched the finals when he won in Miami. I watched it in Miami again, and I watched him win in Cleveland. So I don't know what effect he believes I have on LeBron because he has won. The Yankees have not fucking won since I've met Rick. <laughs> so I agreed to this deal. I won't even turn on the game. I will look at the box score at the end of the night. I might tune into the ESPN game cast without watching the game itself to, to, to maybe like, you know, try to 
have some form of a reference to talk about in one of the episodes that I'm going to bring up on them. But all I know is LA's up 2-1. Miami stole the game last week <coughs> or earlier in the week with Jimmy Butler going for a 40-point triple-double. I believe he had 40-13-11. and 11. Was, the best play- was the best player on the court. Miami just looked like they were just ready to go. They were not tolerating any shit. Bam didn't play. Gordon didn't play. I believe Gordon is probably going to be out for the rest of the postseason or for the rest of the finals, should I say, with a torn plantar tendon on the ba- on the bottom of his foot. Bam is supposedly playing tonight. I don't know what's going to happen. So those Jimmy Butler haters, you guys got to stop, man. The guy's not a cancer. It's the teams that he was a part of. Going into Chicago with Dwayne Wade and Rondo and everything and Chicago season not going the way that he wanted. Excuse him for wanting and expecting excellence and perfection from his teammates. Is Jimmy perfect? Absolutely not. Am I a Jimmy Butler fan? Not as much as I am a Dirk Nowitzki or, you know, like a Kemba Walker fan, but I pay attention to Jimmy. When he went over to Minnesota with Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns and he went out there and he beat the starting the starting five with the third string backups in practice and then just left. That spoke volume to me. Like, Jimmy was just out on a mission. Mind you, according to reports, Jimmy only shot the ball one time, but he beat them with his teamwork and his defense. And then he goes to Philly, doesn't work out. Philly ends up losing that series to Toronto with Kawhi's incredible shot, and he leaves, and then he signs in Miami. He's got a beautiful team around him. He's got shooters. He's got physicality. He's got young, fresh legs, and he's got veterans on the team. I'm still sticking with L.A. in six. I don't think that Jimmy coming out and winning game three for the Heat is a surprise. But I do think that Jimmy could have possibly sparked a little bit of a fire in that Miami Heat locker room because he showed that it can be done. And they were just aggressive. And they did everything they needed to do successfully. And they got the win. They won by 11. But I think L.A. comes back firing tonight as well. And I think L.A. finds a way to take back the control of the series. But, and I say this with a little bit of hesitation, but just but if Miami finds a way to win game four, I believe this game might go seven because Miami then caught fire. And I believe that that means the Lakers have all the pressure to win the next one not that they don't have any pressure this one they're still up in the series that's why I say that I think the Lakers still win the series but if they tie it if the Heat tie the series I think that the Lakers should definitely be concerned not that they shouldn't be now I know I'm sounding like a little bit of an annoying person when I keep saying the opposite of what I just said but I I think Miami would be a scary team if they were up or if they tied the series and I was talking about this with a friend of mine. Shout out to Jordan. Um, if this man, LeBron James, if by some miracle, if the Miami Heat pull off the upset and they win the NBA Finals, the GOAT comparison has died. Like, it's over. Like, it, wrap it up. Don't ever bring it up again. Yes, he's one of the greatest players of all time to play the game. Yes, he has the court vision. He has better, better, better rebounding statistics. Yes, He plays in a different era. Absolutely. All of the excuses and all of the reasons that LeBron fans say that he's better than Jordan will become a thing of the past. He will be three and seven in the finals. Ten finals appearances are phenomenal in itself. But if you lose to the Miami Heat, arguably the easiest finals trip 
to LeBron fans that he's ever had in his career. Obviously, in 07, he faced the dynasty of Tim Duncan. 2011, the incredible Mavericks. Then he played a young, inexperienced Oklahoma City team that still had three future MVPs in James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Durant. And then going back-to-back with the Spurs, again, the dynasty once again. But, oh, and again, the, the, the Warriors team that just, for whatever reason, just had to go and get Kevin Durant and then went and won back-to-back titles. But, you know, 2015, who knows what happens if they have Love and Kyrie without injuries. But once again, it's just, I'm getting off topic. It's the point of if Braun loses this finals, that discussion, that comparison, that whole ordeal is dead. It's over. It's gone. If you let a team with Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo, Kelly Olenek, like a bunch of just random people, again, not discrediting their talent, but LA is clearly better than them both on paper and on the court, unless LA finds a way to choke and lose, there is no talk. Anthony Davis is another top five player in the NBA, and that is your running partner, and you can't beat Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, I don't want to hear it, like, ever again, like, I don't, I'm, 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 I, I would be over it, I would seal the book, if anybody brought it up, I'd laugh, I'd literally just hang up three and seven, I can't put seven fingers on one hand, but I would literally walk around with two dummy fingers just to put it for LeBron fans, anytime I hung out with Rick, I would, I would just, I just put him on my finger and be like, yo, three and seven, bro. Like, just, 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 that's enough. I don't want to hear it. There's no excuse for LeBron James to lose this NBA Finals. Yes, it would be a great memoriam dedication to Kobe Bryant, RIP to the, to the Black Mamba. But I don't know, man. Miami is still a good team. And I, again, I still stand by the, the, the Lakers in six. But they need to tread carefully because they cannot let the game get away from them again, especially with Bam being on that court. A a major asset to that team. So LA better trade carefully, man. That's all I got to say. If AD gets in foul trouble again, if Braun isn't hitting shots, if that, if, if Danny green continues to, to throw the ball outside of the backboard, maybe you put in J.R. Smith because <laughs> Danny green ain't, ain't really producing offensively for you guys. So we'll see what happens, but that is the end of the podcast guys. That is episode 18. Couldn't be happier. Very happy with the success of the podcast and success. I just mean the consistency. I appreciate people reaching out. I appreciate all the guests that I've had and all the support that I've gotten from my, you know, my friends and my family. So can't wait to talk to you guys about next week. Hopefully by next week, I'll have a result for you guys with the Yankee series. We'll have a new NBA champion and obviously we'll be deep into week five. So I hope you guys have a good night. Go Yankees. Good luck to both the Lakers and the Heat. And I'll be seeing you guys again next week. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. 
Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.